What do high-definition television and Jesus Christ have in common? Maybe more than you think. And that's what we're talking about today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. Well, I hope that you are getting ready for Holy Week as we are here. This is that time of year, you know, it's like the pastor's Super Bowl, right? Um, it's Everything is happening, and uh, it's such a meaningful and important time. I want to give a shout out to everyone who's been following us on the 40-Day Discipleship Challenge. We are almost done with the 40 days, which I can't even believe. And if you somehow miss that and want to get in there, the 40 days, uh, the videos that I do, the daily videos for 40 days, they're going to live on that Facebook group for a long time. So if you want to jump in that, we're still, we'll still let you in and you can take them one at a time. You could do 40 days from now. Um, so what you do is you go to our Tower Hill Church Facebook page and you'll find our group, the 40 day discipleship challenge, and you could request to join. But I definitely want to give you that opportunity because it has been so meaningful for the folks who've gone through it, Um, and it's been a lot of fun for me. So as we are gearing up for Easter, just a quick reminder of some things um, that you're going to want to know. First is uh, Palm Sunday is coming up this Sunday, if you're listening in real time, Palm Sunday. uh, Worship times are the same, and Monday, Thursday, that's the Thursday before Easter, we have a traditional worship service at 7.30 with child care provided, and uh, that service is great. It ends in this really powerful moment where we hammer nails into the cross. It's so meaningful and awesome, so I uh, hope that you will join us for that. Again, that's 7.30 in the sanctuary. Good Friday service we do as a community service with other churches. This year, it's being held at the AME Zion Church on uh, Shrewsbury Avenue in Red Bank, and it starts at noon, and I will be one of the preachers. There'll be seven preachers there. Don't worry, each preacher only gets five minutes, so (laughs) it's going to be good. It's going to be fine, and it won't take all day. And then, of course, Easter Sunday. Now, Easter Sunday, our schedule is a little bit different than normal because we have to accommodate all the folks. So we have a traditional service at 9 o'clock with choir and brass, and a 10-15 traditional service with choir and and brass and childcare will be at that service, not at the nine o'clock. Then at eleven thirty is our contemporary service, and that also has childcare, infant through fifth grade. So if you need childcare, come to ten fifteen or eleven thirty. And if you want traditional, come to nine or ten fifteen. If you want contemporary, come to eleven thirty. It's gonna be great and we can't wait for you to join us. And now without further ado, here we go with the next installment, twenty four hours that changed the world. We're in our series, 24 Hours That Changed the World, as we journey to the cross by drilling down into the last day of Jesus' life. And what does that mean for us here and now? What did it mean at the time, and why does it matter? I always thought it was kind of strange that in our Apostles' Creed, we have Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman governor in the Christian creed. He was the one who, it's under his authority that that we crucified, that they crucified Jesus. Why in the world did he show up in that creed? We're going to be talking about that today. But as a way of kind of leaning into the sermon, I want to ask you a question. It's a very important question. You know how, like, can you remember what you're doing, like, 
like when some major thing happened in your life. Okay, can you remember the first time that you saw HD television? This is a very important moment of my life. The, when I saw the difference between HD and SD, standard def and high def, it was at, uh, it was at a friend's house, and I saw f- uh, the National Football League on HD. And when I saw that, and I could see like the blades of grass on the field, I swear I could see the blades of grass. I could see everything, I could see the whole field. I could see how the, the defensive backs were lining up on the field. I mean, this was a big moment. What is this? It was incredible, the clarity, the beauty, the, the colors of the picture. When I saw HDTV, it absolutely ruined me for my 26-inch Sanyo in my living room. And then from that point on, I'm like, oh, how do I get, how do I get an HGTV? My wife can attest to that. I, I love sports, uh, but when it came out, I don't know if you remember when HGTV first came out, not everybody liked it. And here's why. Uh, if you were an actor, a news anchor, or anybody who showed your face, you did not like HGTV. It showed every wrinkle, every blemish. You looked much better in SD. And, and it, you know, they had to kind of figure out, you know, how do we, how do we do a little more cover up and make everything nice and perfect for you to be on TV? And I remember sit, there was a big thing going on with sitcom sets. So apparently on a sitcom set, um, when they would have like cans of food in the kitchen, they wouldn't say anything or they would say prop or they would say, cause in SD, you couldn't tell what the can said. But in HD, you could tell everything. And so they had to scramble to make sure even the labels of the cans in the kitchen in their set said what it was supposed to say. So not everybody loved HD. HD, I think in a way, can provide painful clarity because you can see everything. I get it. I get it. Listen, I just celebrated a birthday. I like looking in the mirror in SD. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I look great with the lights real low. Just see, I like, but what is it? If you look in the mirror, and it's like, oh my goodness, that's really clear. I, like, I prefer backlit mirrors, not frontlit mirrors, right? I want the light moving away from me. I want it to be just sort of a kind of a mystery at what you're looking at. I don't need all of that front light that exposes everything. And this isn't just true with us in mirrors. This is true in life, isn't it? It's true in life. You're always trying to put your best foot forward. You come to church. Everybody thinks everybody else has their act together. (laughs) Not so. (laughs) Not so. But you think that because everyone's putting their best foot forward. That's that's the day that you're going to say hallelujah and amen and and you're going to pass the peace and you do all that stuff. And you think, oh my gosh, I just got to pretend to be like everybody else. But really, I don't have my act together. It's like going on a first date. It's like, well, if I go on a first date, you know, and I start off with, let me tell you how broken I am. <laughs> that's not going to go really well. I'm trying to put my best foot forward. I want to make sure that I'm attractive and, and funny and smart and basically somebody else. And because I want them to like me, I'm not just going to start opening up about all the issues that I have. Now, why do we do that? Well, it's because we're trying to hide the wrinkles, right? We're trying to hide the blemishes in our life. 
And I think this gets down to why Jesus made so many people so uncomfortable. Because I believe Jesus was like staring into a front-lit HD mirror. Where every single wrinkle, every single blemish, everything was exposed. And it made people so uncomfortable. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Ephesians 5 reminds us, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Jesus is like that front-lit HD mirror where everything is exposed. And all throughout Scripture, when we see Jesus and the way people interact with Jesus, something happens to them as a result. We see this time and time again, that people experience Jesus and something about gazing into the eyes of Jesus changed them or made them uncomfortable. And that's just it. When we truly fix our eyes on Jesus, we see ourselves for who we really are. And sometimes it makes us want to switch back to the backlit mirror. We, We don't need that much clarity. We'd rather hide a little bit. From who we really are. So let's jump in today. We're uh, into our story, Mark chapter 15, and we're talking about Jesus' interaction with Pontius Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Let's pause there for a second. Pilate was amazed. Why was he so amazed with Jesus? Why was that? I mean, it could be like Jesus was putting out the God vibe. Right? Maybe that's what was going on, but I think, I think it was because every time this has probably happened with Pilate, and this did happen from time to time, where the, the Jewish leaders would bring a prisoner that had to, a death sentence had to be carried out. And uh, I'm sure every other time, that person was trying to talk their way out of getting executed. I'm not guilty, and here's why. Bye, 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 bye. With carefully crafted arguments. And what does Jesus do? He says nothing in his defense, and Pilate is amazed. He's like, they're just handing you over. You don't have anything to say. Verse 6. Now, it was the custom at the, at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. This is uh, really important to understand. Why would this custom exist? You've got to understand what's going on with Pontius Pilate. So the way that the Romans worked was that they would conquer a foreign people, but they wouldn't just like kill them all. It was much better for them if they stayed where they were and kept being productive, happy people. And the way to keep them productive and happy is you leave the indigenous leadership in place, but you make sure that your Roman governor has control. But you don't want to deal with the everyday needs of your foreign people you just conquered, so you leave it to them. And then if they have a big issue, then you come to us. Then you come to us. And so it was really about how can we keep them happy so they keep paying more taxes to Caesar? 
And one way you keep them happy is every year you have this great fun where you release a prisoner and everybody cheers for you and thinks you're great. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. It's clear something's going on right away with Pilate. He's, he's kind of leading the crowd, right? He's saying, do you want me to release him? And what is it? What do we know about him? Well, he was the governor. He was the one in charge of that area. And so the Jewish ruling council, they didn't have the authority to put Jesus to death. That was only an authority that could come from Caesar. So he, on behalf of Caesar, could carry out death sentences. So they needed Pilate. The Jewish leaders needed Pilate in order to do what they wanted to do with Jesus. He was the only one that had the authority. And, but here's another thing. There was no reason for Pilate to, to be sympathetic to Jesus' argument anyway. I mean, why upset everybody? It would be highly unlikely that he would ever overturn what the Jewish leaders said should happen. Right? And so all they had to do was to come to Pilate. And you see, like, they, they worked on an argument. They, they, they're riling up the crowd. They're trying to figure out a way so that they can stack it in such a way that it seems very clear that Jesus ought to be put to death. But watch how this goes down. Verse 12. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. I find it odd that Pilate is so hesitant. Why is that? I think, I really believe it's because when he stared into the HD front-lit mirror of Jesus Christ, it made him squirm. It made him uncomfortable. He clearly thinks the people have chosen wrong. Which is really unusual for Pilate to think. And there are also other accounts in other versions, uh, in other gospels. It talks about Pilate's wife had a, had a vision, had a dream about how he wasn't to put this man Jesus to death and it, it freaked her out and then it freaked him out. We don't know exactly why. Maybe Pilate also um, maybe he was afraid that Jesus was going to become a martyr and he didn't want to see that happen. I don't know, but I really don't think it's that. I think that when he looked at Jesus, something happened to him. And it made him uncomfortable. Now in this moment, Pilate had a choice to make. The authority's his. He doesn't have to seek counsel from anybody. He can decide. And it feels like as we read the story, we think Pilate, he might just do the right thing here. But yet, in the face of that front lit mirror of Jesus Christ, he chose to, I'm going to go back to the back lit mirror. I wash my hands of this. It's on you. You've already decided, I'm just giving the authority to do it. And then we get to verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd. And that's really what it came down to. 
Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I think Pilate was wrestling. And we never know what becomes of him. I wonder, when the stories of the resurrection happened, when Pilate heard that, how did he react? I wonder, as he watched the church in a short amount of time explode into all the region to grow and grow, what he was thinking. I wonder what kind of regrets he had. Did he have any? You see, I, I love that Pilate's in our Apostles' Creed. I think that it, the cool part about that is that it grounds the Christian faith in actual history. This isn't just a, a myth. This isn't a legend. This is verifiable, ha, verifiably happened in history. Uh, there was a Jesus Christ. He was given the death sentence. His believers said he rose again from the dead. They could not find his body. It grounds it in history. I love that. But I think more than that, the reason I love Pilate being in the Apostles' Creed is because we are Pilate. I am Pilate. You are Pilate. Pilate is us. We gaze into the HD mirror of Jesus Christ, and we can either put him to death or we can praise him as king. And we have that choice to make every single day. Are we going to live a life in the front light or the back light? I remember when I was first kind of exposed to this idea that um, saying yes to Jesus meant stepping into the light. It meant stepping into this new way of living my life. And I was very scared of that. And you might be too. Because you might think, well, what happens if I do that? Am I going to lose this life that I've built around me? Am I going to lose... Things that I'm hoping for. Is it going to have a negative impact on my life somehow? I understand those fears. But here's some encouragement for you. Living life in the front light is one thing I have never regretted. Never. In fact, I can't think of anybody who has chosen to live that kind of life who has ever regretted living in the light. I don't know. You might be a numbers person. Those are good percentages. Never. Even people who have been persecuted for what they believe do not regret it. See, here's the thing, neither will you. You know why? Because once you experience the HD life, you're never going to want to go back to standard. Once you experience the beauty and the clarity and the wide openness of life of faith, you're never going to want to go back. It is just a dim reflection of what Jesus has given you to live. You're going to crave the HD life. And all you're going to want to do is show your friends so they could be ruined too. You never want to go back to that old you. 
You already know that story. What if you could start living into the picture that God sees for you? The life that he has carved out for you and planned for you. And he's got plans. Believe me, he's got plans. It's the 24 hours that change the world. Let it change yours.